Damo, you big sweet tooth. Yes, MP, you chocoholic. So naughty but nice. We're a hit at the Wellness Summit and I want more. Well, how does 20 recipes in their free ebook, Heavenly Healthy Desserts, sound, MP? Jeepers, Damo, I'm loving that. Or you can hop on down to their brand new cafe, Selection Cafe in South Melbourne and receive 10% off your favourite healthy desserts. Woohoo! To do so, go to so naughtybutnice.com forward slash couch and fill in your details to receive your free ebook and discount voucher. That's www.sonaughtybutnice.com forward slash couch. So naughty but nice. Delicious nutrition. Thewellnesscouch.com. Streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to Backchat, exploring the five pillars of health with Dr. Paul Bergamo and Dr. Anthony Coxon. Welcome to Backchat. My name is Paul Bergamo and it's great to be here in our next podcast. Backchat is about being your best. It explores the five pillars of health. It refers to being your best in thinking, moving, eating, sleeping, and also in your neurology. Today we're going to explore the health pillar of being your best with your thinking. To help me as always, it's a great pleasure, I introduce my fellow chiropractor and co-host, Anthony Coxon. G'day Anthony, how are you going? Hi Paul, excellent. Very excited about today's podcast, that's for sure. Excellent. So what what have we got tonight? Well, you know what? Uh, I want to go take us back just a couple of months ago, Mm -hmm. the Wellness uh, Summit in Melbourne, our first uh, experience there. Now, you Mm -hmm. and I are both... uh, We're not entirely new to public speaking. We've done Mm -hmm. a little bit of it around the traps, but... um, here we were. We came separately. I think you were there in the morning. I was making you do all the work while That's I right. was you uh, off doing something else. That's right. And waiting to go on, and I was aware that we were doing stuff, you know? Mm. It, was, it seemed like there was lots of stuff happening in my head. Now, what have we got to go? We've got to get that mic from that guy. We've got to do things. And I just just before us, um, Vicky uh, came on, Vicky Kelly. Yes. And her subject was? Mindfulness. Mindfulness. Yes. And she took us through a lovely little exercise and about the breathing and being aware of their space and just slowing things down. And I must admit, I was just off in a, in a lovely little trance. The next thing I know, she was off the stage and was just like, wow, where did that moment go? But it was quite beautiful. And I really felt quite calm and relaxed. And it was a great preparation for us to then go out and do our thing. So um, I'm excited because uh, our speaker tonight is uh, an expert in the mindfulness field. Well, that he is. We are very fortunate tonight on Backchat to have uh, Dr. Stephen McKenzie uh, with us uh, on the show. Stephen has a PhD in psychology and has conducted mindfulness research as a lecturer in psychology at Deakin University, as well as teaching mindfulness to psychology and medical students. He's an author of two books on mindfulness, Mindfulness for Life, uh, with Dr. Craig Hassett and Mindfulness at Work, uh, released in 2013. The other book was released in 2012. Both published by Exile and both published in the UK and US as well as Australasia. He's currently giving mindfulness for pain sessions at the Pain Matrix in Geelong and mindfulness at work sessions for a range of organisations including Telstra, Jetstar and Barwon Health. Hi, Stephen. How are you going? Hello, Paul. Going, going well, thank you. Excellent. So perhaps, Stephen, we start with the most obvious question. What is mindfulness? It's a good place to start. So mindfulness is pretty simple, really. That The main ingredients of mindfulness are firstly awareness. To be mindful really is just to be fully aware and to be able to direct our awareness rather than having it distracted. And as well as being fully aware, to be mindful is to be fully accepting of whatever we're aware of. 
So that's the main components of mindfulness, just the full connection with reality, if you like. And that's that, that's mindfulness, the technique, but perhaps there's there's something more to mindfulness and that's why we're connected. And so I think there's something deeper that maybe mindfulness as a technique is forgetting a bit and that's the deeper context of why we connect. And so I've actually been... In recent times, I've been using the term heartfulness mm. rather than mindfulness, which I think adds something to it. It adds a, a dimension of connection because really the reason why we're aware and accepting is because we're connected with people. I mean, it's such a, a busy, busy life that so many of us lead these days that it's uh, that you know all too often we don't you know. We don't even notice the flowers, let alone stop to smell them. Um, you've obviously had, um, you know, have a background in uh, with with your PhD in psychology. How, how did you come from sort of that background and into the mindfulness uh, thing? Because it seems to be that it's 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 become very popular. It's obviously got you know legs on this thing. So mm. uh, so give us a bit of an idea of where where's your journey with this? Well, I started. I guess I started with mindfulness before it was called mindfulness. There's always been mindfulness, but it's like the same with vitamins. It just hasn't been called that for very long. Right. But I guess where I started, when I was I a was researcher at the National Aging Research Institute in Northwest Hospital in Parkville in the 1990s, and I was, I was renovating an old house in Brunswick, and I was aware that my general health was deteriorating a bit, and I had a, a sense that there was something something systems related that there was some underlying problem and so I heard about transcendental meditation and so I learned that really to improve my general health and it and it was effective for that and then I've been practicing that kind of meditation for some time and noticed various improvements including in in well-being as well as in health and then I heard about a, a meditation technique known as vipassana which translates as to see things as they really are, and that's really a mindfulness technique. And so I learned that maybe 10 years ago, and that's when I really got interested in, in mindfulness. Okay, so you actually also mentioned the word meditation in your, your description there, Stephen. Is, for our listeners of Backchat, what is the difference between mindfulness and meditation, or is there a difference? Well, that, that's a good question. In the book Mindfulness for Life with Craig Hassett, we talk about a distinction between formal mindfulness practice, which could also be described as meditation, and informal practice, which is being mindful in our daily lives. And in practice, there's not that clear a distinction because to be to be mindful is to be fully aware, to have a concentrated awareness, and that's really the active ingredient of, of meditation. There are, there are many forms of meditation. There are mantra-based meditations where we focus on a particular sound and then there are body-based meditations, which are more obviously mindful. But any meditation really is about focusing. It's about restricting distractions and focusing on something, which is really reality. And by that focus, we enter a deeper state of awareness. We become calm and peaceful and less stressed. And that's Effectively, the active ingredient of mindfulness is the same as the active ingredient of of meditation. So, do you do you find that perhaps with uh, patients or people you've advised over time, they sort of move from a, you know, maybe in our worlds as chiropractors, a set exercise regime as a protocol to do morning and night, and that might be sort of a meditation formal sort of training sort of process. But then, 
their brains start to become invigorated by this concept so that they become mindful just all the time? Is that is that the sort of idea? Uh, I- exactly. The distinction between when we're formally practising and when we're just living gets less and less. And what I do with the with pain patients is that there's really three aspects to it. And the first is just to be mindful in daily activities, to be connected with what they're doing, which is what works for, for all of us, not just for people with pain. And that connection with daily activities, it can be described as connecting with the working surface. So, for example, if we're, if we're talking to someone, the working surface is the person that we're talking to. So it's just to, to really listen and in, in any work activity, I talk about this in Mindfulness at Work, but in any work activity, to just fully connect with what we're doing, it may be feeling the keys on the computer screen. So that just connecting with everything, that's a daily life practice. And then there's then there's the actual uh, the, the practice of the meditation or the deep state of mindfulness, such as a body scan, such as going through the body, and that might take five or ten minutes and it might be done two or three times a day. And typically when that formal practice is practiced regularly, then the mindfulness gets easier during the course of the day. That's the, and now, Paul, isn't it interesting in terms of um, the way I, I've had this experience often and I've had these conversations with patients and just with friends, sure. how, you know, th- th- there's meditation, there's the formal thing, mm-hmm. and that's a, a, a beautiful and a wonderful experience to, to engage in. But sometimes the, 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 the times when we're most in touch with our body is when we've only got one thought happening at the one, at the one time. So it might be you're doing an intense activity like rock climbing or you've just got to focus mm-hmm. on something that's uh, that you're not distracted by the the mishmash of what goes on in the world, and I guess you know mindfulness sounds to me a bit more like you know meditation through your day to day life rather than just a, a stop and let's meditate. But in our, and also, but in our postmodernistic world today, everything is it's almost counter to what we do, isn't it? Because we've got so much going on in our worlds that our busyness means that we're moving away from it when, in actual fact, we probably should be going towards it, do you think? What's your thoughts on that, Stephen? Well, that's right, that we're getting busier and busier in in workplaces, but more generally. And really what's happening is that our mind just wants to be doing more and more, and effectively it's almost becoming fashionable to be busy. We start to worry if we're not busy. And it's, it's a social thing or a cultural thing, but that, Coming back to just the deep experience without having to clutter our minds, it's very, when we experience it, we know that it's a natural state, we know that it's a wonderful state, but typically our minds don't value that. We, it's valuable at a deeper level than our minds in terms of our experience, but our mind typically says, I don't have time to be at peace, I don't have time to be happy, I'm too busy being stressed, which is really quite ridiculous, but that's what what happens to us. And it's a good point that you made before about doing things that effectively force us to be mindful. If we're doing something dangerous, then we tend to become mindful because we have no other choice, and that might be why people like to jump out of aeroplanes and (laughs) do very challenging things because effectively it forces us to be mindful. So, so how is it that mindfulness can help people? How does it actually work? Well, the active ingredient of mindfulness, it's really 
it's really allowing us to make friends with reality. We tend to spend our entire lives escaping reality, and that really means escaping to the past or the future. So typically the mind is always thinking about what's going to happen or what's already happened, and it very really connects with the present moment reality, which is which is really all, all we have, all there is. And so when we let go of our minds and the compulsion of the mind to, to think and to not be connected to reality, then we automatically enter a natural state. We effectively we return to our natural state. So it's not something that we learn. It's something that we remember when we allow ourselves to. And in that state of being fully connected, we just naturally have a we enter a better, happier psychological state. And so another aspect of it is that it's a connection of of mind and body. So with mindfulness we're attending to what's happening here and now in the body because that's the reality of the present moment. And so typically we have a disconnect between mind and body, which we don't even recognise. And so in a way that connects mindfulness with other techniques such as yoga and, and tai chi because they're all about connecting mind and body. I like what you say about the um, it's not that we have to learn it but we have to sort of unlearn it because it's already there. I've had discussion, I remember, with a, a, a very experienced and a very um, a very thoughtful health practitioner when we were talking about breathing and that as chiropractors we're often, we often see patients that breathe very much with their chest instead of with their diaphragm so they have what might be termed a paroxysmal breathing pattern um, but we can get into the danger of teaching them how to breathe and making it a very cognitive type of thing rather than well, what can you to remove just to let things happen naturally. Breathing is a natural thing and obviously mindfulness is a natural thing. What's the expert think? That, that, that's a good example. It's very much the same as mindfulness. There's yeah. a danger that people think, gee, this sounds pretty good, it's pretty fashionable, I'd like to learn that. But as you say, it's like people thinking, gee, I'd like to learn breathing. Mm. And really it's, it's as natural as that, that we're all naturally mindful. We're born mindful. We're born connected. We're born fully alive. And then we start to lose that. In, in psychology, it's known as the theory of mind, which means that at about the age of a year and a half, we start to develop a sense of being separate, a, a separate identity. And interestingly, that's about the time that we develop language. And really, that's a, it's a sense of being separate. And that's when the trouble starts. That's when the minds start to create a, a sort of a secondary experience. Whereas the true primary experience, we, all, we always had it and we always still do have it deep down when we let go of all the complexities and so really to be mindful is just to unlearn what we've replaced our natural mindfulness with and that's a a second-hand reality that comes from experiencing life through the filter of our mind through making things complicated through thinking about things whereas to be mindful is just a state of pure experience i think this is really interesting anthony regards some of the concepts here because we look at a lot of us get caught up in the past and, you know, issues that have happened in the past, family, friends, work, etc., and get absorbed by that almost to the point where it almost paralyzes people to move forward. Mm. And in the, in the other sense, you know, a lot, of, a lot of us perhaps get caught up about what the future is going to bring and being concerned and worried about the future. And then what, what Stephen's talking about here is just getting back to just worrying about the here and now. The moment in time. You know, in regards. And I think also... 
if I can use the term of mind vice, which I've just made up in my mind, I suppose, you know, the concept of pro- procrast- procrastination, where one basically, it's almost like a form of anti-mindfulness, isn't it really, Steve, in the sense where we're so distracted that we just don't get stuff done? Is How do you, how do you view it with your psychology background? Uh, that, that, that's exactly right. That we it, It's an anti-mindfulness or a mindlessness that we... The, the mind avoids the present moment because when we're fully living in the present moment, we go beyond the mind. So the mind has a survival mechanism. And so the mind really, when we're in the grips of our minds, we spend all of our time in the past or in the future, which means that we spend our time in an illusion because time is just a construct of the mind that reality or true pure experience can only happen right here and right now. So to be in the the mind, to be in the past or the future means that we're not fully connected to reality and in simple terms, it means that we're not fully alive. It's interesting. I think when you um, come across different people, um, you can get a sense of how grounded and centered mm. they are. And I think that's also perhaps another analogy for mindfulness. You know, you, there are some people, and I can think of individuals, friends of mine, who are just as soon as I see them, there's a calmness that I feel because it's almost like they're oozing that sort of mindfulness. When they speak to you, they're completely with you. Thank you, Anthony. You talk about yeah. me. Oh, just, <laughs> well, right. Did I have you in that group or the other group? Right. I, I think you might have been in the anyway, other group. Man. No, no, no. Okay, that's that's okay. you. You're, we're, we're, you're mindful. I understand. That's right. but, but and others where it's just um, we're here, we're there. Yes. Where it's, you know, yes, the everywhere. conversations are, are yep. a, a little bit staggered. It's, there's no flow because there's no sort of focus. There's mm. no... You know, let, exhale. There's no, there's no exhale in the in the conversation. But uh, I, mean, I mean, it must be obviously some people are better at doing this, and I don't want to call it a skill because uh, because that would that's suggesting that it is something that's learned. But some people are just naturally more intuitive and can let stuff go more effectively. I'm imagining and become more mindful uh, than others. Would would that be the case, Stephen? Well, that, that's right, and you could say that some people's natural mindfulness has been less lost or disconnected than other people's. And a, a good example of somebody who's very naturally mindful is Craig Hassett, who, my co-author of Mindfulness mm. for Life, and we sort of joked that he was the positive example of mindfulness and I was the negative example. <laughs> I was more the what to avoid. <laughs> but that, that's not necessarily oh, that's not, a, that's not, that's not necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> I like that. That's funny. I remember hearing Craig years ago because he did some acting, didn't he? Didn't he do some stage production work? I'm not aware of it. <laughs> right. I thought he did. And I, I remember hearing him speak years ago and I thought he did some, just some, which I thought was really impressive given his GP background and then, working this sort of work and I think it was sort of part of him sort of challenging himself at another sort of new frontier and gee I'm hope I'm not getting that wrong by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we'll, hear, we'll hear from Dr. Hassett in due time, no worries. <laughs> so so are there are there um I mean how far can you take mindfulness and in, in terms of obviously there's some health advantages uh, to, to, to be, you know, thinking these thoughts and, and controlling your emotions in these ways. What are some of the advantages and how far can people take this as far as they're improving their health and well-being? Well, there's great advantages to, to mindfulness and that these are mentioned in, in Mindfulness for Life, which is really a handbook of mindfulness. And the advantages, there's clinical advantages, but there's also non-clinical advantages, so we can all benefit from it. And it's not, as, as I said before, it's not something that we, we learn, but the advantages include decreased anxiety, it helps us with stress, it's 
great for addictions, for weight management. There's also evidence that's effective uh, for it reduces the probability of developing various conditions such as dementia. But also there's daily activities. Being mindful helps us to study. It helps us to relate to people. It helps us to sleep. So it helps us with just about everything. And those, the, the, the psychological, emotional benefits, they spill over into physical benefits, obviously, because of the connection between mind and body. So mindfulness really helps us to be, to be well. And it's not something that we have to learn. It's just something that we have to remember. And once we start to practice mindfulness, we don't even have to call it mindfulness because sometimes using a term can create ideas in the mind and really the state is beyond ideas. But once we start to experience that state more often, we start to appreciate that, that, that it is our natural state and we're drawn to it more and more often. So you mentioned about weight management and mindfulness and, you know, I think a lot of uh, our listeners would be aware of exercise to lose weight, would be, ex- would be aware of making the correct or appropriate food choices to lose weight. Can you sort of tie in that, that third element there regards mindfulness? How does that work regards weight management, broadly speaking? Well, the, 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 the mindful eating is really important because often people gain weight because they eat unconsciously, typically to, to eat something unhealthy while we're doing something else, such as watching television it's a very common way of gaining weight. So to be mindful is to be conscious, to eat consciously, which is very important. And a benefit of eating consciously is that food tastes better. When I was teaching mindfulness to medical students at Deakin, we we transported the Monash course that Craig teaches to Deakin a few years ago. And when I was teaching mindfulness to the medical students, I'd try and get them to be scientific and say, well, put it into your life and see if it works for you. And one of the things that they commonly could benefit from pretty easily was eating mindfully to just give full attention to their food. It can be a a nice little experiment that you can try to just eat something, eat anything, giving full attention to it as opposed to eating something whilst doing something else. And it has pretty instant and obvious benefits. It's interesting, isn't it? Because in a sense, it's quite central, isn't it? It's kind of, uh, you might even have good food choices. But again, if you're not calm, centered, thinking about what you're doing, well, end of the day, you can easily overconsume, passively overconsume. And some of the good work you think you're doing isn't going to get the result we're after unless we're mindful, I suppose. Well, exactly. And it, it really relates to self-knowledge in that when, we, when we're conscious, everything just happens automatically. When we're conscious, we make good food choices. When we're unconscious, when we're stressed, we just eat anything. We eat for the wrong reasons. We're not aware of what we're eating. We don't get satisfied by what we eat. So when we eat consciously, we're satisfied. And that translates to other experiences too. When we live consciously, we're, we're satisfied with life. I suppose this would also uh, follow over, Stephen, with other, you know, Addictions such as smoking, for example, being mindful when you're smoking a cigarette. Um, (laughs) Do you help people with those sorts of problems? Yeah, it's a good example because there's a chapter in Mindfulness for Life on Addictions and that relates to some research that I was doing when I was at Deakin. I was researching the harmful effects of alcohol and other drugs. 
And I think that mindfulness is very useful for reducing addictions. And addictions, we tend to think of addictions as being official addictions, if you like, that we all know about gambling, drugs, smoking, alcohol. Yeah. But we could say that there's also unofficial addictions, which really are just compulsions that we can be addicted to watching television or addicted to arguments or addicted to stress or overwork. And it's really just living life unconsciously. And so uh, being mindful automatically helps us with addictions because when we're living life unconsciously, we're never satisfied. It's like the carrot at the end of the stick. We're always wanting something to happen out there. And with mindfulness, we start to gain some self-knowledge. We start to realise that nothing is out there, that the experience is inside us. So really, there's a lot of common themes, aren't there, Steve, with addictions? You know, if it's a food craving, we talked about a bit earlier with regards eating, or if it's what Anthony referred to as smoking or um, other examples as well, there's that sort of central tenet of the brain, the mind, sort of having control and trying to stop that sort of at a primary base level, isn't there? Well, that's right. You could say that it doesn't matter what form the addiction takes. Addiction is addiction. You could even say that the central addiction is to thinking and that's something that it becomes a compulsion. Yeah, interesting. Now, for all our Backchat listeners who are currently driving your car, you might want to uh, press pause or pull over (laughs) for a moment because um, uh, Stephen has been kind enough to take us through up until now and answer some great questions on mindfulness, but uh, I guess it's an experiential thing. So um, uh, just as I had uh, at our our Wellness Summit with Vicky, a very uh, brief but uh, pertinent and uh, meaningful experience with mindfulness, uh, you're going to take uh, our listeners through a a short exercise, I believe, uh, Stephen. That's right, Anthony. So, uh, okay, it can help to close your eyes if you're in a position when you can. It just helps to connect with the reality of what is. So start with the breath. Start by fully connecting with the breath. Be aware of the in-breath. Be aware of the out-breath. Be aware of the space between the in-breath and the out-breath. Allow that space between the in-breath and the out-breath to grow. And if any thoughts come into the mind, let them come and then let them pass again and bring the awareness back to the breath, fully connecting with the breath without wanting it to be something other than what it is, without thinking about it, just allowing the breath to be as it is. Now, moving the awareness to the body, moving the awareness to the feet, be fully aware of any sensations taking place here and now in the feet, moving the awareness around the feet, allowing any sensations to be as they are here and now. It doesn't matter what the sensations are. They all come, they all go, just like the thoughts, just like the breaths. Moving the awareness 
from the feet now to the lower legs. Scanning the lower legs, connecting with any sensations, allowing them to be as they are. It doesn't matter what the sensations are, just experience them without labelling, without judging. And now moving the awareness from the lower legs to the upper legs, scanning the upper legs, allowing the sensations to rise and to fall. It doesn't matter what they are. Let them come, let them go. Just resting in this awareness, resting in this acceptance. Now moving the awareness from the upper legs to the lower parts of the trunk of the body. Fully experiencing any sensations, it doesn't matter what they are, just allowing them to come and allowing them to go without thinking about them, without preferences. Moving the awareness now to the stomach area. Be aware of any sensations taking place here and now in the stomach area, allowing them to rise and to fall. Now moving the awareness to the chest area, be fully aware of any sensations taking place. Scanning the awareness around the chest area, fully experiencing any sensations without judgment or comment. Now moving the awareness to the lower back area, allowing any sensations to be as they are, to come and to go, to rise and to fall. It doesn't matter what they are. They all rise and fall. Now moving the awareness to the upper back area, be fully connected to any sensations without labelling, without commenting, without judging without thinking about, just fully experience them as they are here and now. And moving the awareness from the upper back area to the shoulders. Be fully connected with the shoulders, fully aware of any sensations taking place. And from the shoulders, Moving the awareness down through the upper arms, the elbows, the lower arms, the hands, the fingers. Now moving the awareness to the throat area, be fully aware 
of any sensations taking place right here, right now, in the throat. And from the throat, moving the awareness to the jaw. And from the jaw to the face, to the lips, the cheeks, the eyes. Moving the awareness from the throat to the face. And now to the back of the head, be fully aware of the back of the head and the, and the back of the neck, fully aware of any sensations. And from the back of the neck, the back of the head, moving the awareness to the sides of the head. The top of the head and the front of the head. And now allowing the awareness to flow throughout the entire body. Moving the awareness throughout the entire body. It doesn't matter what the sensations are, just be aware of the entire body. Just resting in this awareness, resting in this acceptance, resting in this mindfulness. Good. And when you're ready, slowly, easily, naturally, Bringing the awareness back to the room. Bringing the awareness back to the room. And when you're ready, slowly, easily, naturally, opening the eyes. Good. Wow. That was, we call that a body scan. What was your Yes, a, a body scan. It's a technique that's been around for a long time. Well, it's, it's really what the pastner is, which is very ancient meditation technique, which supposedly was practiced by Gautama the Buddha about 2,500 years ago. Wow, what did you feel? Then? But it's used in modern pain clinics. It was used before it was called mindfulness. Okay. All, all I know is that I never felt so relaxed in a podcast, uh, Paul. So that was fantastic. <laughs> Thank you for taking us through that. And it really needs to be an experiential thing, yeah. doesn't it? You, 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 it can, you, can, you can't just be cognitive with these things. You've got to actually get down and uh, feel it. Yeah. So um, no, That's exactly right. Yeah. So going just to, to understanding, we, we like to understand um, not just about the, the, the work that you're involved in and the, the great teachings that you have, but um, for our Backchat listeners, we like to understand a little bit about the person as well. So, so Stephen, have you had a particular pivotal experience in your life that really drove you towards, um, you know, this mindfulness path? Well, uh, I guess a pivotal experience that led me to mindfulness was my realization that I needed it. I realized that I was mainly mindless. Right. This led me to a lot of places, including up the Dalai Lama's mountain in India. Where I didn't get to do a 10-day Vipassana mindfulness meditation and then eventually to Australia's Blue Mountains where I did 
and I got to get up at 4 a.m., meditate for up to 10 hours a day and not talk to anyone, which was quite an experience. That was sort of hardcore mindfulness. I don't think we better do that. Well, well, maybe our wives. <laughs> don't, <laughs> this isn't being recorded, is it? No, Honey, I was only kidding. You're in trouble now. At least that was Anthony Lisa. That wasn't yeah. Paul saying that, by the way. Um, wow, that's that's fascinating. So, you know, we often learn from our experiences, don't we? And that in, that inspires us to go into our line of work. So that mm. sounds like that's what's happened with Stephen. Also, Stephen, can we just, um, for our back chat listeners, take some practical take-home tips that perhaps you could give our listeners regards mindfulness? Sure. Well, to to give three take-home messages or or tips, the first is that we can't learn to be mindful because we already are mindful. Being mindful simply means being fully aware, fully accepting, fully connected and therefore fully alive. The, The second one is that being mindful doesn't mean being practically perfect which is what Mary Poppins was, apparently. It means making friends with whatever you are right here and right now. And the third one is that to start being more mindful more often now, don't wait until you think you're ready. You're as ready as you ever will be now because all you will ever be is now. Wow, that's fantastic. Uh, Look, we really appreciate your time uh, with us today and for our back chat uh, audience, Stephen. Um, if people want to find more out, more information about you and about um, uh, the, your mindfulness work, um, they can contact you at Stephen McKenzie at deacon.edu.au. And that's Stephen with a PH dot McKenzie, just M C at deacon, D E A K I N dot edu dot au. And we'll have these um, uh, website contacts or email addresses up on the uh, our uh, Facebook page, the Backchat Facebook page. And you can also check the mindfulness uh, for life dot com dot au and also mindfulness at work dot net dot au. There for the two respective books that uh, Stephen's actually. Uh, written so I'm sure that'd be great reading absolutely so look thank you Stephen for joining us tonight on Backchat well thanks Paul and thanks Anthony it's been a, a real pleasure excellent thank you so much so thank you for listening to Backchat to stay abreast with updates with Backchat please go to our Facebook page www.facebook.com forward slash Backchat podcast all relevant websites of links of today's show will be on the Backchat podcast Facebook page If you like this show, please leave a five-star rating on iTunes. We leave you with one thought. Be the best of what you do, and you will grow and inspire others around you. We look forward to catching up with you on our next Backchat podcast. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.